you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to share two scriptures this morning, uh, one from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and then we'll be transitioning to the New Testament book of First Peter. Very familiar um, passages and connects with the songs that we sang this morning. Passage here in Jeremiah chapter number one, it is the introduction of the call of Jeremiah. And if you have a Bible that has subtitles there, you'll see just above verse number four in Jeremiah chapter number one, it says the call of Jeremiah. And let's read verses four and five. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, as a prophet to the nations. Uh, Let's turn to the New Testament book of first Peter, chapter number two, first Peter, chapter number two and verse number nine. And it reads, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for these words of scripture. We know that these words are written for our example and they are life unto us. And Father, as we partake in your word this morning and we study and examine these scriptures, Lord, we're asking that you would open our hearts to receive all that you desire to say to us this morning. Father, we thank you for the life of Jeremiah, who you said that before you even formed him in the womb, you knew him, O God. And Father, I thank you that you've called us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wondrous light. Father, thank you for what you will do even through this morning's service. Lord, we ask for what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'd like to share about when God calls your name. There's an importance in knowing that God calls us by name. And uh, all of us here have a name, unless we've changed our name to a symbol. Uh, we have a name. We have something that we call ourselves, um, something that people refer to us. And if you haven't done so, take a moment just to ask your neighbor, what's your name? And if you know their name already, find a neighbor you don't know their name and just ask him, what's your name? We see that with a name, there's a point of reference or identification. Um, I'm usually better with names than I am faces. I'm usually not someone who can describe someone, um, their facial features and everything else. And sometimes after service, Pastor O will be like, oh, did you, uh, uh, or I'll ask her, did you talk to so-and-so? And And, uh, she's like, so-and-so, who was that? Describe them. I'm like, it was a girl. Um, And (laughs) I was like, uh, and she was like, what color hair was she? I don't know. Um, what was she wearing? Uh, 
I don't know. I, and I it's just, it, it, I'm, but I know her name. I, I know their names. And, and this identification point of knowing a name. Um, one of the things I learned from an early age of who I was by the fact of my last name, Ardafio. And uh, uh, that's my family name or the name that was given to me from my family. And it was important that uh, uh, my parents had this uh, notion of understanding that this is your heritage. You are an Ardafio. And these are certain there are certain responsibilities that come uh, with that name. And, uh, you know, if, if you had an old school parent, they say, you know, don't mess up the name, you know, don't, you can do a whole bunch of stuff, but you are my son, my daughter, and you represent the family. And so there was this notion of recognizing that along with the name came responsibility and relationship, relationship. There was something that came along with a name. And even when we see this act of marriage, what happens is that the woman takes the name of the husband. And so there's an adoption. The oneness comes from the woman and the man and they come together and there's a name which is adopted as part of that transformation that takes place. Well, you know, I learned not only my name, Ardafio, but I learned also the importance of when someone called my full name. You see, when my dad, David uh, Ardafio, called Joseph Okai Ardafio. Um, I knew there was something that I better get over to him and say, yes, dad, what would you like? When my mom called me by my full name or when she called me by my house name or my Ghanaian name, I knew that I better come. And uh, there was something that I'm as I'm coming to them, I'm thinking of excuses of why I did or what happened that she's going to ask me about. Why didn't I wash the dishes? I don't know. Um, Something was wrong with the dishwasher. I, I mean, I was thinking along the way as I'm walking over there because I knew that as she called my name, there was something that she was desiring for me. When God calls your name, we examined last week this understanding that God has created us in his image. As we talked about the fact that God has created us, it's a recognition that we are not here by accident and we are not here by product of our own design. I know some of us, when they talk about us, when they write about us in articles, when we walk around our workplaces and our schools, we would think that we just created ourselves and created the most beautiful thing in all the earth. But recognizing that we did not create ourselves, we were created by God. And as he created us, he created created us in his image. And as he created us, he said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you recognize that the omniscient, the omnipotent, the, uh, the, the, uh, the omnipresent God created you? Do you recognize that he took time to form and to fashion you in exactly the way that you uh, that you are today? I mean, even this morning as I was um, going through and I was figuring out, I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't even, you know, have uh, the right clothes I want to wear. And, and and sometimes it's a deliberation in the morning trying to figure out it's not just women. Men go through this, too. They're trying to figure out, you know, what are they going to wear? And there's a whole lot of things that are going into this decision. And, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm pairing up jackets and sweaters and everything else. And so 
you know, the honest truth was I thought I had a pretty nice gig this morning. And then as I'm going out to uh, uh, to use the restroom, Pastor Mike comes to me and say, oh, let me fix your uh, collar. And I was like, no, it's supposed to be up. You know, that was the design of, you know, what I was doing. And I was like, epic fail. No, it just it just bombed out completely, totally. But I, 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 I had spent so much time crafting this image that I wanted to portray. I I, I had spent time because it was a part of representing who I am and and all of these understandings. And I recognize that in order for us to understand the fullness of who we are, we have to understand not only have we been created, but we've also been called. Not only have we been created, but we've also been called. Now, we're going to talk about what it means to be called. But you see here in this text that we read in Jeremiah chapter number one, we see that Jeremiah knew what it was like for God to call him by name. He knew what it was like when Jeremiah said unto him, I'm calling you. I'm calling out your name. We know the stories. If we read throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, how God calls out people by his name and and he calls them out and says, so and so be this, so and so be this. And as he calls people out by name, there is something significant when God calls your name. Now, when we look here at this passage here in Jeremiah chapter number one, I want you to see this important aspect. Now, those of you who are English majors, you'll know what a verb is. Hopefully the rest of you know what it is, too. But uh, Jeremiah chapter number one, it has four verbs or four actions that are taking place. And it says, first of all, before I formed you. The second thing it says, I, in the womb, I, I knew you. So he formed and he also knew you. And the third thing he says that before you were born, I set you apart. And the last thing he says is that I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He formed, he knew you, he set you apart and he appointed you. The Lord formed Jeremiah, which means that he took time to create him in the image of God. And it says here that uh, we, we understand this aspect that Jeremiah knew that he was created by an awesome God. Now, how did he know that? Because it says here that before the Lord, it says that the Lord formed him before I formed you in the womb. We read last week the words of Psalms 139 and verse 14, where the psalmist declared, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But even before Jeremiah had existence, even before they could have done a old school ultrasound and be able to see, oh, look at that beautiful little fetus and that. Oh, look at the head. It must be a boy. You know, before they could do all of those things. Here, what it says here in Jeremiah 1, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. It wasn't that that Jeremiah came into existence simply when there was this human physicality that was there. He says, before I formed you, and this is the Lord speaking, he says, I knew you. The word here, yada, means more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's not simply that the Lord had in the figment of his mind and said, you know what? It would be really great to create a Jeremiah. I really think we could use a Jeremiah in this world. 
I guess someday there will be a Jeremiah. No, the word that is used here, it's used to express in terms of to know. It's used to express the intimate relationship experienced by a husband and wife conveyed in the close sense of close personal relationship and protection. You know, if you've ever gone through a yearly uh, Bible reading plan, you'll read through those chapters of scripture and so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And it goes through a long list of people who were begat. And uh, a part of that, if you read through those begats, you'll see that so-and-so knew so-and-so and they begat. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means. Talk to me after service and we'll explain that. But they knew. And this was what he was talking about, that there was an intimate knowledge. There was intimacy even before Jeremiah was formed in the womb. Before I formed you, I knew you. But then it says that the Lord set Jeremiah apart. Before you were born, I set you apart. Uh, You know, this kind of is where uh, I don't know if you've ever done this while shopping as that, you know, when you find something you like, but you're still trying to figure out and you don't want to carry a whole bunch of clothes to try on. You kind of set it apart and you kind of set it in a place where you can try and hide it behind other clothes. So people won't find that particular thing that you're looking for, but you're not quite sure if you want it. And, but I mean, this is not exactly the same connotation here, but it's this setting apart. It's the placing beside placing aside in order to be used for something. And he says that. Before you were born, I set you apart. This is the act of what we call divine election or being predestined for a particular purpose. But then it says that the Lord appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He appointed Jeremiah as a prophet to the uh, to the nation. He declares that Jeremiah had a specific calling or assignment, a specific calling or or assignment. Now, these four dimensions of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's journey on earth are not inconsequential. Ultimately, they describe the calling of Jeremiah to the Lord's service. He was created. The Lord knew him. He was set apart and he was appointed. We're going to see that there are multi dimensions to what the Lord is doing when he calls us. And when we often talk about calling, we often important into the word calling our cultural or theological baggage. I'm sure you've heard someone say I'm called or, you know, you've heard someone talk about calling or, you know, that I'm called to certain certain things or called to certain responsibilities. And, you know, one of the phrases, you know, that people love is I'm called by God to the nations or, uh, you know, you hear that someone is a anointed and they must be called by God. And we often determine with a lot of our baggage what it means to be called by God, depending on the opulence of the gift. Let me let me break it down for you. We have the assumption that someone is called on by God based upon the fact of whether or not they boast about them being called by God. So when someone comes up and says, I am the prophet of God, I am called by God to speak and to declare his word. And the more boisterous and the more outlandish we are with our acknowledgement that we are called by God, we must assume that they must really be called by God. But we we need to understand that because we boast the loudest about calling does not mean that we are called by God. 
Because we tell everybody how the Lord has called them to the nations does not mean that we're called to the nations. You see, what we need to recognize is that God's calling is much bigger than what we look at when we typically think of calling. And, and, and when we look at the word calling, the English word calling that we have here in the scriptures, it represents over 15 Greek words that were used to talk about calling. Uh, it's, it's amazing to see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were some 700 occurrences of the word or the, ver- or, uh, or the word calling used as a verb, noun or adjective. There was a sense of calling and a sense of naming animals. There was a sense of calling upon the Lord for salvation, something that we do. But when when the Lord is the one who is doing the calling, we need to understand what does it mean that we are called by name, that God calls us by name. What does it mean? Have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean? Am I called? And if I'm sitting here today, am I part of those who the Lord is calling? What does it mean that he calls me by name? It is not simply just a familiarity, but it's the recognition that he invites us into intimate relationship and fellowship. Based upon my study of the scriptures, I believe that there are four categories of calling and You don't have to write these down, but we're going to go through these as we examine different dimensions of understanding that we are not only created, but we are called. All of us here are called and we need to understand what does God mean when he says that we are called. And in these four dimensions, the first calling that all of us have is a calling to eternal fellowship or relationship with the divine creator. The second aspect of calling is a calling to salvation or to receive God's divine grace. The third calling is a calling to holiness or specific behavior as Christ followers. And the fourth and last calling is a calling to service or specific vocation. You see, all four of these are important when we talk about the notion of calling, but we need to understand that there is a priority as it relates to calling. And when many of us think of calling, we simply think of it in terms of the third and the fourth definition. We think simply think of calling in regards to our behavior, our actions, what we do, all the things that we are able to accomplish or are calling in terms of vocation. I'm called to be a banker. I'm called to be an attorney. I'm called to be uh, uh, a a a a um, refuge specialist. I'm called to be whatever responsibility that we can acknowledge is our calling or, or vocation. And we spend more time boasting about what our calling is in terms of what we can do rather than understanding the first priority of our calling as a relationship eternal fellowship with God, the calling to relationship with God. You see, when your calling is simply about the extent of your behavior or what your job is, you make your calling about what you can do. And when we see that only about what we can do, what happens is we tend to make the end goal the accomplishment of our calling. 
Uh, so it's the equivalent of this. It, it, we make our calling simply in the terms of, did I get the job? Did I get promoted? Did I get the house that I wanted? Did I get everything right in this lifetime? You know, it would be the equivalent of my father and, and I'm the son and, and I'm seeing my father there and I want to please him and I see my calling as a son and defining my calling as a son simply in terms of graduating from college. Now, if you, those of you who have immigrant parents, you understand that it almost feels like that every day that you get up. Your only calling is to, you know, graduate school, finish school. And then, of course, when you finish school, they're like, why aren't you married? And then, of course, when you're married, why don't you have babies? You know, and so it just, you know, it just is a progression of levels of responsibility. But recognizing that if I, as a son, only understood my calling to graduate college, then what happens to the whole 20 something years before I get to that point? And then what happens to the 70 something years after I reach that point? You see, when we see calling simply just as what we can do, what we can accomplish, it ends up that we miss out on the reality of the fullness of our calling. And we often spend spend time defining what are we doing for God rather than who are we for God? Excuse me, who are we in God? And this important understanding is, uh, hear this, before God ever calls us to do, he calls us to be. Let me say that again. Before God ever calls us to do, he calls us to be. Many of us are frustrated and never understand who we are. Because we've only termed who we are on the basis of what we can do for God. But the reality is before you could ever do anything, God called you by name and created you for a purpose. And it was greater than whether or not you were able to do something in your own strength. This is what he called relationship. He created you for relationship. Let me park at this first understanding that our calling starts off with this understanding of eternal relationship and fellowship with God. We read here in first Peter chapter number two and verse number nine. uh, If you have it and turn there, this passage here, it says that we are a chosen people. Let's read it together. But you are. Come on, let's read it together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Have you ever paused for a moment? And, and, you know, sometimes when you have things in sequence, you kind of think, oh, these are flowery definitions. Ooh, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. But have you ever sat and thought, what does it mean that we are a chosen people? What does it mean that we are a royal priesthood? What does it mean that we're a holy nation? And this precarious phrase here, what does it mean that we are a people belonging to God? Have you ever thought about your calling in terms of the fact that you are called to be a people belonging to God? Or have you simply thought about your calling simply in what you can do for God? You see, in first verse 10, it goes on to say this. It says, uh, if you go to the next screen, it says, once you were not a people. 
He's not saying that you weren't human. Uh, he's not saying that, you know, that aspect. But he's saying once you were not a people, but now you are the people of who? The people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This aspect that God calls us to be a people belonging to him. And what happens that sin comes in to teach us that we belong to ourselves rather than belonging to God. It teaches us to say, man, don't consider that you belong to God. You don't really need God. You have yourself. This tactic of the enemy is the ultimate in identity theft. Because we lose our true identity as a people belonging to God and never get to this place where we understand that he's called us by name. Uh, let me use a couple of illustrations and uh, bear with me here, because I, I believe as I use these illustrations, you'll begin to understand what I'm sharing here. Uh, what happens when you have something that belongs to you or you create something? Uh, most of us, you give it a name. Uh, musicians have names for their instruments. We were uh, out in a family vacation uh, in Mexico, and uh, this is before Nehemiah was around, and uh, I remember we were out by the pool, and as we were out by the pool, um, I had, I was, I was good for most of the week, and then near the end of the week, I had my computer um, out by the side of the pool. Um, Some of y'all can identify with me. Um, And so, as a result, um, I I was sitting there, and I was typing away, and uh, um, uh, Pastor O says to me, did you see Bertha? And so I'm looking all around the pool for Bertha. Where's Bertha? You know, I'm like, Bertha, Bertha. Um, I, I was sitting there and I was typing away and, uh, um, uh, Pastor O says to me, did you see Bertha? Um, but then came along the Mac. That was Susie. And so, you know, uh, Pastor O would, you know, just randomly be like, oh yeah, you cheating on Bertha with Susie. I, I tell you, you know, you don't have no allegiance, no love for them. And so she named my computers and, you know, we give names and those of us who have pets, we've often give, we give them names and, uh, funny names sometimes, but we give them names. And when you give it a name, it's something that has meaning or significance to you, the creator. Those of you who have pets, you can name your pet Reese's. And, you know, everybody else will be like, why did you name your dog Reese's? But you're like, you just don't understand. Because the first time I met them, they ate a Reese's peanut butter cup and they were just in love. You know, you'll, you'll have some reason. But you call it in particular and it has meaning to you by the name that you chose for that particular pet. But what happens when the item that belongs to you is lost? When you've lost something, you don't just abandon it. Rather, if it is something that is of value to you, you begin to do what? You look for it and do what? Call its name. If if you have a dog and you're looking for Victor, uh, when it's lost, when the dog has gone away, you call out, Victor! Victor! And the dog should know the voice or the name of its owner. The dog should represent, uh, should understand that when my owner is calling my name, I'm to come back to him and to be present with him. 
Illustration number two, you'll, you'll begin to understand this as park that in your brain for a moment. Go in, in, in the Bible to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. Most of you know the creation account, but I want you to understand and look at this. In Genesis chapter number one and verse number one, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as it says there in verse number two, it says that the uh, the earth was formless and empty and dar- uh, and darkness over the surface of the deep. So here we have a formless and void earth and God creates the heavens and the earth. And then if you jump down in the, in chapter number one, verse number 27, it says, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them. So we see that he creates man. He blesses mankind and said, be fruitful and increase in number. At this point, if you read down, uh, down in verse number 31, it says that God saw all that he had made. That included mankind. And what did he say about them? He said that it was very good. Mankind is created. And what happens? He says it is very good. Now, here's where I need you to understand this turning point. Before mankind ever does one simple thing, God calls mankind good, not on the basis of earning their goodness, but on the basis that he as the creator recognized that his creation reflected the design that the creator had placed into it. Some of you have missed this before mankind could forget about, oh, man, I missed church last week before mankind could recognize, oh, I did it again Uh, before mankind could recognize that he had not done enough to earn God's salvation. God already called mankind very good. Do you understand that? And so after he calls mankind good, he created them to be part of a reflection of his image and they were reflecting his image. Then in chapter two, you begin to see that God goes from giving a calling to eternal relationship to now giving a specific assignment or vocation. And if you read in chapter number two, his specific assignment or vocation was that he was called and put into the earth in order to take to work the Garden of Eden and to take care of it. Are you understanding the progression? God created mankind. He called it good. Then after that, he gave mankind a specific assignment. And that specific assignment was to till and to work in the garden of Eden. But after receiving what mankind was supposed to do, mankind got so caught up in doing what he was doing that he got lured in as he's taking care of the garden. Man, this is an awesome responsibility. And then he begins to think about, well, what would happen if I just deviate from what God has called me to do? And so instead of being that which God has called them to be, the fullness of who they were was caught up in what they did. And in what they did, they began to give over to the serpent who said, you can be just like God, independent and not having to say that you belong to anyone. 
So the serpent comes in and says, don't worry about all that belonging to God stuff. You're just called to be a God yourself. So what happens? We know that mankind falls out of relationship with God. But I don't want you to miss this. If you look here in Genesis chapter number three and verse number eight, mankind falls. They eat of the fruit. Eve gives over to Adam and he eats. And verse number eight, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But look in verse number nine. Verse nine says, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? You see, when the Lord had called him and created him to be a reflection of his image, even when mankind went and mistook the calling of God and went off track, God was still calling him by name and said, man, where are you? What do I mean by this and why is this important that we understand this? It is the understanding that God continues to call our name because he created us. And when he created us, he created us with purpose to be a people that were his very own, a people belonging to him. And even when mankind has messed it up, God did not say, oh, forget about them. They're lost. They're out there somewhere else. Just like the owner of the dog who recognizes that if I keep on calling the name of my dog he will eventually hear my voice and return back to me God calls us by name not as simply a dog or a pet but he calls us as his own creation and even when throughout the events of life we fall away from where God created us to be he still calls out to our name and says where are you whom I called by name and I created to be I called you by name You see, the significance of my name does not come in based upon the fact that I do certain things. Nehemiah does not become my son, Nehemiah, simply on the basis of whether or not he was nice to me today. But as soon as I called him by the name, Nehemiah, Nei, Joseph, Ardathio, it was the recognition that he was my son and he took my name. And even when the times when he goes and does things and says, whoops, daddy, I'm sorry. He doesn't lose my name and that relationship. He still belongs to me. He's still my son and my daughter, but we have to reconcile our relationship. And so what we need to understand is that when God calls us into eternal fellowship or relationship with him, he calls us by name the same way that when he called Jeremiah, he said to him, before I ever created you, I knew you. I called you for a purpose. And before you ever had a responsibility to be a prophet to the nations, I called you to this task of mine and this task of mine that you would have fellowship and relationship with me and that you would identify yourself as being called to be a people belonging to me. You would have an understanding that God invites or calls. 
this word calling, this understanding or this first notion of calling in the Greek word, it's kaleo. And it is this notion of inviting or summoning. And if you understand that when we recognize that the first dimension of our calling is to respond to the invitation or the calling, the invitation to say, come and be a part, we would understand that he has set us apart for his exclusive use. And he would say that you have been given my name. You have adopted and taken on my name. He didn't just create us without purpose, but he created us to continually walk in fellowship with us. And he's continually summoning us to say, come, come here, come into my presence. And even when we find ourselves not representing the name that he's given unto us fully well, he knows you by name. But when sometimes we get into things which disgrace the name, God still says, I still called you by name and I can redeem you and restore you and I can create a new creation in you if you would only just come back and he begins to say your name is where are you going what are you doing and I don't know if you've ever been in situations where the Lord has said to you I've called you by name I've called you by name and it was not on accident But even in the midst of all that was going on, he was calling us. Now, what happens is that he calls us initially and he continues to call us into this eternal relationship. But what happens is that sin teaches us to ignore the calling of the Lord. You know what sin does? When the Lord calls us by name, it tells us run the other way. It says you don't have to acknowledge your creator. You don't have to acknowledge that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Sin comes in and says, just make it be about yourself. It's interesting because this one author, as they begin to look at what it means to be in a relationship, they looked at how in the American culture we have lost the notion of relational living or this aspect of having a name that brings relationship or familiarity with one another. And he said this, he says, the condition of individualism along with that of pragmatism forms the operating system that shapes life in America. We are a people who breathe the air of pragmatic life. We live each day according to a set of predetermined and proven steps that promise greater success. The pragmatic drive to produce fruit numbers undermines the very essence that causes fruit to grow. The very thing that causes fruit to grow in the first place is relationships. In the third world countries in South America, Asia, and Africa, cultures breathe a different air than we do in North America. They never learn to breathe the air of pragmatism. Instead, they never learn to measure, I'm sorry, they never learn to measure their lives by what they produce. Instead, they measure their lives by the life they live with others. It's very easy when we look at our society that the first way that we base our life is on what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? The first thing usually when you go to network and meet with other people, what do you do? Where do you work? And, you know, you try to have something that has a little bit more than whatever someone else is doing. And you try and find ways to create it. And, you know, we have resume writing workshops to in order to, you know, spell out and to be able to highlight your skills and all the things that you do. And recognizing that that's not a bad thing. But if we are our calling is simply based on what we do, we will miss out on the fact of who we are called to be. I'm glad that my owner has not given up on me. 
even when I've lived a pragmatic life and forgotten about the essence of what God created me to do, which was to be a people belong, created me to be a people belonging to him. As I wrap this up this morning, I just want to share a couple of things that are important. You see, we have to learn how to rejoice in the fact that God has called us to belong to him. Many of us are searching and they, and, and in the church circles, one of the popular phrases, Lord, help me understand my calling. Lord, help me understand my purpose. Lord, help me to understand what am I here for? And many of us, we've determined it simply in the aspect of what type of job will I have? What type of house will I have? What type of friends will I have? Will I be able to have everybody over at my house and we have the nice dinner party and everything else? We've determined our accomplishments of what we are called to do based on the fact of what can we achieve. We're like sons and daughters who simply identify themselves based upon the fact, did you graduate from college? Did you go to high school? Never think about the 20 or something years before that. Never mind the 70 or so years after that. My calling is just to do something. And we're going to understand the importance because we saw here in the life of Jeremiah that God called him to a specific purpose, to be a prophet to the nations. And there is a specific assignment and calling that God gives us. But I'm afraid in a very pragmatic society that we have focused all of our attention about our calling, simply about achieving something. And while we're achieving, the enemy is using our achievement desire to lure us in, to eat of the fruit, to lure us in to think, oh, you don't need to belong to God. What do you need that for? Look at how much you're able to accomplish on your own. I thank God we're a very educated congregation and we've achieved a lot of various things. But you know what? It would be a shame that if in all of our achievement, if we put together all the degrees and the letters that would go behind the names, we would sit here around THM and MD and all these different names that would go on these names. But we would miss out on our essential first aspect of purpose. You see, some of you have the sequence wrong. Before God ever called Adam to work in the garden, he called him to be in the image of God. And if we don't understand that first primary level of calling, we'll rejoice in what we're able to do, but not rejoicing in the fact that he knows you by name. When's the last time that you rejoice before God that he knows your name? When's the last time that you got excited about the fact that you are in relationship with God and that you are his and he is yours? And when was the last time that before you began to talk about all the big things that you've done for God, you've been a missionary, you served on the usher team, you preached for him, you've gone and served on the multimedia team and you were doing all these things for God. When was the last time that you just bask in the fact of, Lord, I thank you that I'm fulfilling my calling because I am in relationship with you. I've transferred ownership 
and not pretended that I belong to myself, but I've acknowledged the fact that I belong to you. You see, if our greatest calling is to belong to him, we can delight in the fact in knowing that we've been adopted into the family of faith. So how do you fulfill this first level of calling? You've got to learn to do some things. The first thing you've got to learn to do is find your greatest satisfaction each day in knowing that you are his and he is yours. I'm not talking about finding your satisfaction in the fact of look at all the things that I've accomplished, Lord. I'm not talking about finding your satisfaction in the fact, man, I've been to church for the last seven weeks. I'm doing good. I'm not talking about finding your satisfaction in, man, look at all the things. Look at, look at what I've been able to overcome. And some of you, you've come from some very sordid histories. Some of you, you're the first to be in college. Some of you, you are the ones where you're looking, your peers are looking around at you and saying, wow, how are you able to do those things? And that's great. And that's part of the calling. But if you miss out on the fact that your first area of calling is to be in a place of relationship, to be a people belonging to him, all that you do will never have true significance and meaning. Number one, find your greatest satisfaction each day in knowing that you are his and he is yours. Number two, learn how to lean on and depend on your heavenly father as a father. Now, I recognize that I'm saying this in a generation that does not know what a true father looks like. Now, it may not be our story. It may not be our testimony that our father wasn't around. Maybe we do know our father. But in the midst of doing all the various activities, we lost out on the intimacy that a father brings and the relationship that is brought in how a father relates to his son. As I was watching the movie Courageous, I was challenged, man, being a father is a difficult assignment. And if I do not have the Lord's strength... I can't do it on my own. And to see that there are people who some 20, 30 years are still fighting based upon what their father did or did not do. It recognizes that, man, it's an important job. And so when I say that we need to learn how to relate to God as our heavenly father, I recognize that I'm saying that in a culture that sometimes doesn't know how to relate to a father. And, you know, my baggage was that I related to a father simply based upon what I could do. Because in my household, it was really truly based upon what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? There was not a lot of whole hugging and just saying, oh, I love you, son. A matter of fact, I was sharing this with another uh, 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 Ghanaian um, child. And and I'm sharing that, you know, it wasn't until I got to college that I truly hugged my father. My relationship with my father was simply based on what am I doing? If I earned accomplishments... I was a good son. If I made his name great and and people would say, man, you have an awesome son, I felt like I had made my daddy proud. And some of us, we take that same mentality into the presence of God and we're still trying to earn approval before God. Saying, Lord, look at all the things I did before you. Look at all the people that I went out and fed the homeless and did all these things. And God says, that's great 
but you were never fully mine. You did all these things, but you never fully gave of yourself. You found fulfillment in what you could do before you ever realized who you were called to be. God's relationship with us is based upon his abundant love for us. He called you by name and it wasn't by accident. The third and last area is use your calling to draw strength to fulfill the other dimensions of your calling. You see, when I recognize that God loves me not based on my performance, but he loves me based upon the fact that I am his and he is mine. Then when he calls me to do something, I can recognize that he's not setting me up for failure. He's not trying to set me up for disappointment, but he's doing it out of love for me. Mark, come here for a moment. If Mark is my son, You see, as my son, it's not simply based upon the fact of, Mark, what can you do for me? Now, certainly he got to wash the dishes and take out the trash, but there's more to his dimension of sonship than how many jobs he's been able to do. The reality of his sonship is the fact that he relates to me as his father. And even when Mark decides sometimes he wants to go astray, a father calls back because a father understands that my son is irreplaceable. He's invaluable. There is something about this sonship and this relationship that cannot be replaced simply by Mark going and doing stuff. And some of us, we've been so long out of relationship that we figure if we can go and do something, maybe it will earn the graces back of our heavenly father in order for him to recognize that maybe we do earn a right to be back in his presence. That's what the prodigal son did. He rebelled against his father. But after he rebelled against his father, he said, maybe I can work my way back into my father's household. But God says, I called you by name. And when I've given you my name, I'll keep on calling you. I'll keep on calling you. I'll keep on calling you. And then as Mark begins to realize that I have a heavenly father, when I say, son, I'm sending you out there to go and to represent me and go and do this. He recognizes that I am sending him out of my love and my relationship for him. And some of you need to realize that when God sends you to your vocation, he's sending you on the basis of his love and relationship with you. Thank you. We're called and he calls us by name. When he calls us by name, it's a mark of intimacy. Everyone doesn't know your name and everyone doesn't understand, but there's something about when a father calls the name of their son or their daughter. There's something about when someone calls over to Pastor Ophelia. When her father calls her, says, Ophelia, Ama, Kweku, you are my daughter. She recognizes 
that my father acknowledges that I'm her daughter, that she's my daughter. There's a recognition of relationship. When God calls your name, it means that he recognizes the relationship. You were created to belong to him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to look at areas of specific calling and vocation. We're going to look at how God calls us to salvation and he calls us to holiness. And when we look at this theme for 2012, that we are, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, We are those things, but we are ultimately a people belonging to God. But I wonder, do you live out each day in full knowledge of who you belong to? Or have you lost the sense of relationship? Have you placed it all in the sense of it's all about me now? It's all about what I can do. I've got to earn my right to be a son or a daughter. Or have you acknowledged that before you could ever earn it, God calls you by name? Father, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice. You know their needs. Some of them do not know what it's like to be called by name. They don't know what it's like to experience when a father calls them by name and says, you are my son, you are my daughter. But father, I thank you that as you call us, it is a reminder that you've called us into eternal fellowship and relationship with you. Help us to recognize that before you ever call us to do, you call us to be. Call us to be those who you've created in your image. Call us to be those who reflect your glory. Call us to be those who just are in love with you. Lord, so many times we we, we just gloss over the fact that you know us by name. And if you know us by name, that means that you've adopted us and you know every part of us. Help us to take stock in the recognition that you care about us more than we could ever think. Father, I pray for those who have never had fathers in their lives or maybe those who their relationship with their fathers was simply based upon achievement. I pray that there would be a freedom and a liberty to not base our relationship simply on what we can do but simply based on who you called us to be. Create in us, O oh God, Lord, a clean heart. Renew in us a steadfast spirit, O oh God. Lord, cleanse us from those things of life that had marred us from our ability to acknowledge, Lord, that we belong to you. All that we have, all that we're called to be, it belongs to you. Father, every area of low self-esteem, Lord, we rebuke it now in the name of Jesus, O oh God. Father, we recognize that you not only created us fearfully and wonderfully made, but you called us by name, O oh God. Lord, those who have experienced loneliness and fears of abandonment, Father, I thank you, Lord, that as you call us, you continue to call our names, O oh God. And Lord, even when we run astray, Lord, you have not lost sight of where we are at. And thank you, O oh Lord, that even when we are running away from you, Lord, you continue to call 
our name. You continue to call our name. And Father, I thank you for that. Help us to recognize what it means when you call our name. That we are yours and you are mine. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.